This is Nick, and you're listening to the Upgraded Life Podcast. In this episode, I interviewed Jason and Amanda Palmer. Now, the Palmers are a couple with an awesome story to tell because they are foster parents, and these two have a heart of gold, and the impact that they're having in their home community is just just incredible. And so for those of you that are out there listening that have ever considered being a foster parent or really have a curiosity about what goes through the mind of people who are thinking about becoming foster parents and then actually do it and then live the experience of being foster parents, this will be a great episode for you. And at the end, as always, they're going to share a mindset tip specifically for those of you that may be contemplating being a foster parent. So stay tuned. And I'm excited to bring you Jason and Amanda Palmer. Hello, thanks for tuning in to the Upgraded Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Sotelo. The Upgraded Life is my project where I help people with their mindset, their mission, and movement. I've been a helper for over two decades, and in my experience, success for you on an individual level comes back to mindset, mission, and movement. Each and every episode of the Upgraded Life podcast is going to give you something that you can do as soon as the podcast is over to upgrade your personal mindset. Your mindset informs your mission, and your mission tells you how to move every single day. And together, that is the upgraded life. All right, so I am here with Jason and Amanda Palmer, and I'm so thankful that these two were willing to come on the show. And I'm really looking forward to what they have to offer folks when it comes to mindset. And their particular brand of mindset is going to revolve around uh, what it means to be a foster parent. So with that being said, I'm going to turn it over to to Jason and Amanda. Tell me your story in terms of how in the world you got into um, the idea that you were going to be foster parents. Tell me how that started. (laughs) (laughs) That's a bit of a story. It can be. (laughs) You want to start? If you go back to almost Christmas of 2000, um, I got an extra tax deduction just for Christmas. Well, a couple of days before Christmas. And when our uh, second oldest son was born, they had some complications. Mm-hmm. And the doctor came over in his thick Russian accent and was talking about a floppy uterus that wasn't contracting. And there were people running in the room with bags of blood and He had this concerned look on his face and he started talking about an emergency hysterectomy. And with Amanda's first pregnancy, she'd had some issues. And so they knew that it was a chance to have some more. So we, they'd already had a planned C-section and they had to go ahead and do that because more or less it was either take a chance on her bleeding out on the table to try and save her or just go ahead and and do the, the surgery, you know, that part of the surgery. And Amanda is the type of woman who, well, she was the type of girl who planned on having at least a dozen kids. You know, you remember the old nursery rhyme, you know, the old woman in the shoe had so many children, she didn't know what to do. That'd be (laughs) me only. I wasn't so old then. Yeah, she had that as a plan. And so that kind of changed our direction. And I kind of thought that at 41 years old, my then youngest son would be uh, out of the house and we'd be empty nesters. And that was kind of the plan we worked on for a while. Today, I am 42 and I have a four-year-old. And a six-year-old, and a twelve-year-old, and a fourteen-year-old, 
an 18, no, 19-year-old. Don't get that wrong. <laughs> and a 21-year-old, and Arissa would have been 23 this year. So we have you know, quite the collection there, but um, we, we lived with the, just with the kids we had for a while, and we kind of found ourselves in a weird place where I was writing a newspaper article for, uh, for the local paper. It was an opinion piece, and it was around Christmas time, and it had to do with uh, – uh, where you could go to donate goods, services, money, whatever, where you could go to, to give to charity that was local that you could help the people around you. And I went down to our local children's division, which is DCFS, DIFAS, CPS, whatever it is, you know, in different people's areas. But it's the people who handle foster care in our area. And I left with a handful of papers and came home and me and Amanda sat down and talked. And it really just seemed like something that resonated with us because we had talked about adoption. And that was back here in China, China's uh, one child policy. And we had really kind of felt something about the, the, um, the plight of the of Chinese girls. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then we looked into it and we went, Oh, that's like 30 grand. I, I, <laughs> we can't afford that. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> like, way out of our pocketbook at that, at that moment. And, in time. and so the foster care, we, we looked at that one. Okay. This looks like something we could actually do that wouldn't cost us 30 grand and we could mm-hmm. do it. And, and, you know, it was a way for us to still be able to reach in and help some kids and not have to come out of pocket with money we didn't have and give what we did have. Well, and the more we looked at it and looked at it, there was such a great need in our Mm -hmm. area. It just, it was astounding to me how many children needed a home. And here we were, we, we had a home (laughs) and uh, we wanted to to share that with kids. And I think we just kind of decided that if that's how we were going to grow our family, if that's how God seen fit to, to grow our family, that that's how we were going to do it. Gotcha. And mm-hmm. so we did a bunch of classes yeah. and you know, next thing we know, we've got a, we've got our first, our first foster placements. Um, we had a little girl and a little boy. And our first foster placements ended up becoming permanent placements. Wow. That were would they, be our uh, our fourteen year old and our twelve year old now. Were they siblings? Yes, yeah. brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and t- tell us, tell us what state you're in. We're in Missouri. We're Missouri. Uh, we're just west of St. Louis by okay. about an hour or so. Gotcha. So, so if I heard that right, there was a, a traumatic uh, birth experience. Yep. Right, yeah. the, the whole process and very much so. Right, and and I don't. My hearing was was gone there. Did, did you lose that child? Did I hear that right? No, no, no. no. Okay, no. we okay. we lost our oldest daughter. Okay. a few years ago, um, who was not our biological daughter. Right. It was Amanda's biological half sister, <laughs> who we raised as our own. Sure. Uh, for quite a few years, her her mom's had had some struggles with addiction, so she lived in our house and called us mom and dad. No, um, with the last birth that I had, what I ended up losing was my uterus. I had a partial hysterectomy. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so no going back on that one then, right? No, no. And and I'll tell you, I I honestly, I I looked around because I I wanted a big family. Jason was correct. I, I wanted that big family. I, you know, we looked at adoption. I even looked at like um, finding a surrogate because I still um, produced eggs. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we just, we ran the gamut of kind of looking at our options, but all of the options were so expensive Mm -hmm. and we were a young family just starting out three kids. I'm a stay at home mom, 
you know, 30 grand for an adoption just was not feasible. Yeah, I don't think we were even making 30 grand a year at that time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <I'm>, right. Yeah. <laughs> so that was just not going to be an option for us. Mm-hmm. So you've got three kids of your own at this point in time, however they came to you. Um, you want more. And so then, and then you've searched out, you know, what it's going to be like to, to adopt. And I appreciate you, Jason mentioned, you know, what's going on in China and cause a lot of people don't understand that. Right. And so, yeah. A lot of people don't have a context for what that's all about. And in my area here on the West Coast, Salem, Oregon, there's several families that I'm connected to that have adopted uh, girls out of China. So I'm, I'm near and dear to, to that and everything that's going on there. Um, so then walk me through, you get signed up, whatever that process is, and you take that first class. What was that like kind of uh, getting there? And what was that first class experience? Welcome to being a foster parent one-on-one. What was that like? <laughs> More or less. I mean, you sit down, they, they've got a whole book and a, and a, a curriculum and, and you sit down and go through and, and you, you role play and they talk through different things and, and tell you all the legal side of things like you can't spank a foster kid, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're in the Midwest. A lot of kids around here get a spanking when they need one. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of, you know, that's that's not as frowned upon here as it is a lot of other places. And um, you know, we had to go through the training as to you know understand why. Like, why is you know my mama laid a hand on my backside when I deserved it, and that didn't ruin me, <laughs> or so I think. <laughs> but you know, the truth is, is if you're not real careful, you end up becoming the next person in a long line of kids who hit them. Right. And you, you don't build bridges, you create divides that way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so we, we learned a lot about, about that. Um, sexual abuse was a big thing we learned a lot about. Uh, that is, and I'm sure you know this, Nick, but that is way more prevalent than I ever thought it was at the time. Yep. You know, I, I look at it now and I'm like, wow, it's, you know, I understand to some degree how widespread it is, but I had no clue before yeah. we really started getting into this, but we learned a lot about that. Um, we learned a lot about trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Redirection, you know, what to do instead of spanking, right. you know, what not necessarily discipline because you're not wanting to discipline a child who is traumatized, but finding other ways to correct. Yeah. How to, how to realize when you're seeing a trauma based response and respond to the trauma instead of responding to the kid in a way that the damage, again, it's, it's so much of it's all about building that bridge and that connection yeah. so that the kid can gain a connection. You know, if I'm sure you're familiar with rad um, reactive attachment disorder, yep. and, and we've had a couple of kids come in, you know, to our home who are diagnosed rad and that can be a really challenging thing, Yeah, you know, and you have to kind of understand how to, how to be able to walk through that with a kid. So that again, you're not the next person in a long line of humans who they've looked up to for a minute and then you abused them. And then you, even if it's not abuse, if it reminds them of the abuse, right in their mind, you're just as bad and you're right. just as dangerous. So you had your three children and then you have your, obviously your own experience, you know, in your childhood growing up and then you're going into foster care classes and they're telling you, this is the way, right? This is how you need to approach your children and including how you're going to, um, not discipline them, right? But you know, how are you going to respond to behavior that you don't approve of? Um, and it sounds like at some point you were able to accept that and see 
see it for what it is and the reasoning behind that. But was that a struggle at first initially? Like when you came home from that class, was it like, oh my gosh, like what, how, how are we going to do this? What was that like to take in that information and then do something where, yes, we're going to still move forward with this process? What was that like? Absolutely. I think at that point it was a little easier for me to yes. accept than it was for Jason to accept because mm -hmm. he was still young and out of the military and mm -hmm. you know it was dad's way or the highway and mom was a little more laid back at that point <laughs> well amanda grew up in a house <laughs> where she should have been a foster kid mm -hmm. uh, she was very much you know, a mom at, at a very young age at five years old her baby brother came to live in her room mm -hmm. she made the bottles she changed the diapers she was mom mm -hmm. so she had a whole different upbringing than i did i was raised in a very conservative christian uh, i I, I always hesitate to use the word cult because it always makes the people who were there with me mad because mm -hmm. the easiest way to make people in a cult mad is to tell them it's a cult, right? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> we can call that a closed system. There you go. <laughs> that, that's a nice other word for yeah, it. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, it was a very conservative, very right wing, very much, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child mentality. And that's what I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that just it seemed to work. And. Mm -hmm. So I, I just kind of followed the, the footsteps of how I had been raised. And um, at least as far as that side of it, I, I walked away from the religion side of it. Um, that, that wasn't a very healthy place for me to be with that group of people. But, um, but as far as the discipline side, I kind of did the same thing. It was, it was really easy. I was fresh out of the military. You know what? Dig a hole. What do you do? You grab a shovel and you better start digging, right? That's just how, that's how that mentality worked. And I didn't understand a whole lot of that as my, especially as, as our kids got a little bit older and started to approach those teen years. And that's about, let's see, how old was, was CJ and Austin when we first started? It was about 10 years ago. Yeah. So they would have been like nine and 11. Mm -hmm. So they were just getting to that place where they're starting to kind of, kind of stand up to authority a bit. And I was starting to see some of that and not understand how to handle it. And then these people are coming in and telling us, Hey, there's this whole other thing. You need to try this. <laughs> I mean, it was still perfectly okay and legal as far as if I, if I felt the need to spank my own children, that mm -hmm. was fine, but just not foster kids. But by 9 and 11, if you're spanking a kid, you're wasting time. You're just making them angry. You're not going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was definitely a whole, different, a whole different approach we had to take. Well, not only that, if we were going to parent other children, we needed to parent our children the same way. Mm -hmm. There wasn't going to be this just this distinction you we weren't going to treat these children one way and treat our children another way when we chose to take children into our house they were our children it wasn't these are our foster kids these are our biological mm -hmm. kids it's no this is our family you know as a whole we're all equal here you know you're all siblings you know so it really changed how we parented across the board sure sure and in 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 my life experience the the, some of the cases that I've been close to that were, uh, you know, foster care scenarios, I did see that. I, I saw where, you know, the bio children were wearing new clothes, they were wearing clothes that, you know, were kept up with the current style, they had haircuts, and then you would see their foster children, and their clothes would be dirty, and they, they wouldn't have haircuts. So that conviction that I heard from you, Amanda, about, you know, our kids are our kids, and we're not going to, we're not going to have one set of expectations and rules for one, and then do something different for the other ones. What, where did that conviction come from, for, from your part of it? Like, you know, how did you make that decision ultimately? I would say it had a lot to do um, with my upbringing. Mm -hmm. um, Jason mentioned that, you know, I, I did not have the greatest upbringing. Um, I should have been in foster care many of times. 
I was not. There were a few adults that looked out for me here and there. But I, I remember from a young age not feeling the love that I felt like I should have got from my mother mm -hmm. and my parents. And so from a very young age, I told myself that when I became a mom, mm -hmm. that my children were always going to feel that love. My mm -hmm. children were not going to go to bed knowing that, you know, mom didn't love them. They were going to know every night mom loves you, whether you're angry at mom or not, whether we're fighting or not, you know, my children are always going to know that I love them. And it's just, it, it's never been a no brainer for me. It, if you're in my house and you stay the night and you're under my roof, you're my kid and you're going to be treated as such. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We kind of came together with that one. Cause I, I've always kind of lived by, by the rule and, I don't know that this is very politically correct, but once you come into my house, you're part of the clan. You're part of the group of people. I'll kill somebody for you. Mm -hmm. Somebody comes in here and tries to hurt you, you know, I, sorry, but you're part of the clan now. So that's, that's part of the rules. And, and, and as such, I also mean that I'll live for you. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'll, I'll do that too. And once you're part of our clan, that's, that's the end of it, right? Like there's, there's no reason to, to look at it differently. And, you know, cause to get a little bit more specific, our oldest daughter that we lost, that was Amanda's half sister. She was a year and a half older than our oldest son, who was Amanda's mm -hmm. son from a previous marriage. Dad disappeared. And, um, he just, he was never in the, in the picture. And so he was my stepson. And then we had our next son together. And that was our, you know, our biological son. But even there, it was always look, this is our family, period. Mm -hmm. There's no like steps, halves, bios, fosters, nothing. None of that matters. There's no adopted kid in this house. You know, there's not an adopted son and then a bios. There's just my kids. Wow. Mm -hmm. Because and this is their safe haven. Because anything less, I think, it doesn't give them the dignity that they, that they deserve. Mm -hmm. Because I learned, and I learned this from, from Arissa, our oldest daughter that we lost. And I remember so clearly, I tell the story a lot, but I remember so clearly when we were sitting in on the front porch one day, the sun was shining, her little blonde hair there in my face, just kind of blowing. She's about six years old, sits on my lap and, and she says, dad, I, I, I love living here and I'm so thankful you guys take care of me, but I really wish my mom and dad loved me enough to put away the drugs and just take care of me like they're supposed to so we could I could just have a normal family and I could like it broke my heart what do you say to that right there's not an answer that's that's not hard right and at that moment that that was the answer was that look if you're here you are part of a family you are part of this it may not be your biological family mm -hmm. I can't give that to you but what I can give to you is belonging to our tribe mm -hmm. And that's always been one of our goals is trying to make sure that every kid who comes in here knows that they belong to our tribe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you were, maybe this is one of your books, right? Uh, if you were to create, you know, 10 rules for foster parents, this sounds like this would be one of the rules, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There are no foster kids and bio kids. Mm -hmm. These are, you know, these are, these are just kids. And some of them happen to, to maybe have some genetic, I mean, connection to you, but 
the truth is, is we all share 99.99% right. of our G DNA. Right. I mean, does blood really make that difference? Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't see it. Mm -hmm. I don't see it. I, I read a post on Facebook from, um, from a, a gal who I, uh, I talked to the other day and it was something along the lines of if you were at the park and with your kids, and there was a little girl who was playing on the equipment and she fell and, and busted her nose and, you know, had a little, little bloody nose or whatever and was crying and hurt. And there was nobody standing around. You couldn't, there was no other parents or she didn't have anybody to go to. She was just standing there crying and hurting and bleeding. Would you stand up and at least walk over and go, Hey honey, are you okay? And check, you know, make sure. And pretty much everybody I think would at least do that. That's what foster care is. It's that basic human dignity, right? And that That's it. You know, everybody deserves um, love, right? And unfortunately, there are kids that are brought into this world where people don't believe that, but then there's people like you who are willing to step up and, you know, show that human dignity, right? And that you're worthy of love no matter what. I think that's the biggest word right there is you have worth mm -hmm. because when I talk to some of these kids, you know, um, one of our, one of our kids, um, just the other night, you know, we, we had that conversation and, you know, because he was acting out and, and, you know, we, it was time for one of those deep conversations. I mean, but I see, I see in those moments where you're trying to get attention, you're trying to, you know, get people to look at you. I said, you don't have to answer me right now. But I want you to look in your soul and ask yourself, are you doing that because you're, you're trying to figure out if anybody thinks you're worthy? Mm -hmm. Are you trying to find a worth? See if people will pay attention to you just because you, you feel like you're not worthy? And he didn't answer me in words. Mm -hmm. But if you look down his cheeks, I mean, the answer was pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. You know, and we were able, it was one of those perfect moments where we were able to talk that through a bit. Mm -hmm. And it was powerful because a lot of these kids come from a place where they are told verbally sometimes and a lot of times non-verbally that you're not worth anything. Mm -hmm. You have no value. I would rather go hit the, hit the, you know, the pipe. I'd rather go get the meth pipe out and that that's worth more than you. Right. And that's the message they take home. Mm -hmm. And are we surprised at all that these kids end up in the criminal justice system later? Right. Yeah, that's definitely my world. I got 20 years in with the state of Oregon youth corrections and a high percentage of our young people come out of the foster care system. And some of our most challenging cases um, are scenarios where they've had 10 plus uh, foster home placements. The, the one that's most prevalent in my mind right now had over 30, not just foster home placements, but group home placements and, and whatnot. Um, yeah. Uh, by the time he came to us. And so, um, he was a challenging case, but he is one of our most recent and probably most um, exciting success stories. And but that's for a different time, a different place. But yeah, that that um, what can happen when kids get shuffled from one home to another home to another home to finally residential placements to and then they come to corrections. It's it's terrible. And eventually aging out of the system and being homeless. Yep. Yeah, and, and I see that a lot of times because these kids have had human after human tell them in one way or another, usually not verbally, sometimes, but usually not, mm -hmm. that you're not worth anything. Right. You don't have any value. And they begin to believe it, and then they live it out. Absolutely. And then you get to talk to them. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Yeah. And I, and I tried to tell them, Hey, there's a whole life ahead of you. And you know, you go to school and you know, find new friends and, and I really, bet you get some colorful answers. Oh no, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell me what has been your biggest struggle so far in, in your foster parent journey? What's something that's been a big struggle that you really had to dig down and just overcome it? It could be kid specific or system specific, um, wherever, whatever you want. I, I would have to say for me, my biggest struggle and it, and it, it comes from a really good place, but my biggest struggle is saying goodbye. Oh, it, it's letting go when it's when the story has come full circle and there's a success mm-hmm. and my babies are going home because I, I'm sorry, even though you're going home, you're, you're still my baby. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's saying goodbye. Yeah. It's letting go because a lot of times me and Jason, we take some of the younger kids. That's mostly what we do as younger mm-hmm. kids and toddlers. They're not going to remember us mm-hmm. and that's okay. You know, they will remember feelings and right. things like that. But I would say for me, the hardest part is, is saying goodbye. Wow. You know, it, it's bittersweet because, you know, we're losing them, but we're losing them to go back home mm-hmm. where, where they need to be. If mom and dad have done the work mm-hmm. and got their lives together, that's the best thing for that child mm-hmm. is to be back at home with mom and dad. Mm-hmm. So I would say that that's, that's been one of our harder struggles as a family. It's, it's been hard for me emotionally. It's, it's been hard for our children sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and other times it's, it's not so hard, <laughs> but the majority of the time you create a very close connection and bond with these children. And like I said, when you're here, you know, you're mine. I, I love you. And I, I will walk the ends of the earth for you. Mm-hmm. And so to let that go can be difficult sometimes. I would pretend like I don't have the same struggle, but if you were to see right about there and there and there, there are kids tattooed on my body um, who, you know, somebody ever sees that they might, (laughs) they might think, why does this guy have children tattooed all over his body? Mm -hmm. But yeah, we have some of those. Oh, Hey, by the way, here's, here's one. Would you like to wave? Hi there. (laughs) This is turtle. Hi turtle. How are you? Can you say hi? Hi. Hi. Thanks for being on the show. <laughs> he can't hear you. I have oh, yeah, no. in. Gotcha. But, but <laughs> yeah, and in all honesty, besides saying goodbye, I'd say the second hardest thing that that we've dealt with would be teens. Hello. Yes, Hi, teens. Frank. There's the other one. <laughs> Our four year old. <laughs> but I love uh, it. But yeah, we, we deal primarily in kids who are the age of our youngest or younger, just so as not to interrupt birth order too much. Mm -hmm. That's just an an extra level of of shuffling and uh, that we don't necessarily need to deal with. Mm -hmm. But then we we have taken in one teen and he was a troubled young man. And that was a real challenge for us because, um, because as he, um, as he came into our family, we did not know what we were getting into. Mm -hmm. But he was, if we hadn't taken him, he was going to a, uh, to a group home. Mm-hmm. He, he wasn't a real behavioral kid that needed, necessarily needed a group home. But he also experienced more trauma than he ever told anybody. Right. And, I mean, I could tell that without knowing it, you know, without him telling me his story. But I did not, I, was, I didn't have the skill set to help this kid. 
And one day he, he tried to, to buck up to Amanda and, um, he was, he was looking for a fight. Mm -hmm. He really was. And what he doesn't know is Amanda came out of a rough home growing up (laughs) and both of my boys stood up and they're like, mom, you want me to take care of this? I'm like, whoa, 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 back down. Number one, do you see dad is standing back? If mom starts swinging boys, (laughs) you want to be out of the way. She may look like the loving, caring mother, but she can throw down if she needs to. So step Mm -hmm. back. Mm -hmm. Number two, 20 years from now, that conviction on your record says you assaulted a foster kid, right? Yeah. yeah. It doesn't say some foster kid tried to get, tried to get mouthy and handsy with, with your mm-hmm. mom and, and you protected mom. You know, it's not what it says. And that was, that was a challenging place for mm-hmm. me because at that point, my kids were just coming into the teen years as well. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't real good with teens yet. I didn't mm-hmm. like teens when I was a teen. <laughs> and so it's, a, it's been a struggle for me. And I've slowly, slowly learned to get better and better with it. But but the, I think teenagers are a real challenge. But some people are, are, are gifted with that. Sure. Yeah, sure. we have one particular gal in our area who does nothing but teens. I, that's what she does. Yeah. And uh, she's helped a lot of teens with, who've aged out of the system, puts them in, a, in her own kind of not really a group home per se, but, but it's an independent living deal where she kind of teaches them how to make sure they have the life skills to, to move out of foster care into the real world. Sure. And I see that and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And she says to me one day, you and your wife are amazing. You take these little kids and these toddlers and these babies. And I'm like, what are you talking about, Kathy? This is easy. My problems are I have to get on the floor and play with Tonka trucks and stuff. <laughs> that's not hard. You know, right. you're doing team stuff. And that's the, so yeah, that's, that was a real challenge for us. And that's the only team we've ever actually taken into this point. Gotcha. Yeah. So there's gotta be an, an element of assessing risk and safety, right? When you're, when you're saying yes or, or no, especially when you have you know, other children in the home and whatnot. So, absolutely. Um, and, and I am, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's probably, you know, do the caseworkers in your area have, have the Palmers on speed dial or how, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we've, we've been on a few speed dials over the years. <laughs> we've gotten calls at 11 PM. Yeah. Gotten yeah. calls at 2 AM before. I'm guessing. I don't remember what the clock actually said. I just know it was dark outside. But yeah. we did take a break for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, our daughter got sick mm-hmm. and in the process of her being sick, um, we took our last placement, which was our four-year-old Frankie. And, uh, then we lost our daughter mm-hmm. and that was a really trying time for our family. I bet. And so at that point we decided, you know, we kind of need to step back and regroup. And so we finalized our adoption on the two, two boys and then we just took a break for a couple of years. We had to, we had to learn how to, I guess, operate again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> it was our own new little piece of trauma. So, you know, it would have been a horrible idea for us to try and parent kids in trauma as we're in the middle of our own trauma. Sure. You know, yeah. as far off the charts as we were sometimes trying to figure it out. So, yeah, that, that was definitely a thing for us. And as far as a risk assessment goes with, the, with kids, is a lot of times really you know, because we primarily take younger kids, it's not much sure. to consider, you know, right. and with the teenager, that was a big thing that, sure. that we thought about because I, we've got a young girl, we've got young boys, you know, and I know it's taboo and nobody likes to talk about it, but sexual abuse is a real thing. Yep. You know, it happens all over the place. And so if, you know, if this kid has experienced a lot of abuse, is it possible he could end up being a perpetrator? It's something we had to really consider and, and be, you know, really vigilant and just making sure we knew what was going on in our house. Yeah, because our house, like I said before, 
and I refer to our house as this all the time, our house is a safe haven. And that's for everybody who enters our home. And so when we do have someone new enter the home, we have to decide, you know, what are the risks when doing this? And we always want to keep our children safe and any children entering our home safe. Mm-hmm. And so that's always, you know, a big deal. And of course, when a, when a child comes into care, they may not always have all the answers right off the bat too. Mm-hmm. So that can be kind of difficult juggling and figuring out and, the social workers, they have their own keywords sometimes too. Um, you know, they have their code words. So you have to learn how to um, to read those. How to read what they're telling you about a kid. Yeah. Strong-willed. They really don't use strong-willed. They'll say independence, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. A child that could benefit from some structure. Yes. That doesn't necessarily mean what it sounds like. Yeah. Definitely the code words there, right? It's kind of <laughs> but yeah. You learn to read through, through, read between the lines on that to, mm-hmm. to kind of understand what what level of of issues you're dealing with in in what places. Sure. You know, because we've had plenty of kids who came to us, um, K and A. You know, the two little yeah. a little brother and sister, and they were primarily um, well. The, the little boy was abused pretty severely. Mom didn't like him very much, and. Um, he was also, he, he was starved mm. and you know, the, he was the firstborn and he had ruined mom's party life. Mm. Uh, mom was, was certifiably, you know, mentally ill. And uh, so she had some real strange ways of doing things, you know, and the little girl wasn't like, she wasn't victimized in the way he was because she wasn't the one who was guilty of ruining her party life. But, you know, she sat there through it all. So we, and we knew that, you know, there's all these different levels that we had to, had to understand and learn to parent through. But that, like, that case was not something where we felt was really dangerous to us yeah. until about halfway through when, she's, when the, bio, the, the bio mom started telling me some stories about her biological father, who I called the Arizona or New Mexico State Correctional Facility when she's telling me stories, found out the guy's real, and... His early release date for good behavior is 2060. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. I said. And yeah. he's been in there since, I want to say it was the mid to late 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, and because when I heard the story, it was apparently there was a manhunt nationwide. He was um, doing some really horrible things, kidnapping, abuse, rape, torture. But kill. he had done some really horrible things to her. Mm-hmm. And so there was this long line of abuse. And then we looked at it and went, wait a second, we have his grandkids in our house. I should probably know something about if he's getting out of jail anytime soon. You know, yeah. I figured at that time it'd been 25 years. Mm-hmm. You know, what if he got 20, 20, 25 years and he's getting out soon? Mm-hmm. So there was that side of it, the safety side to, you know, pay attention to as well. Because, I mean, I'm like, holy crap, what, what if this guy gets out and he comes our way? I need to know something about that. So I'll tap into my knowledge on the correction side. So are you part of the Vine network because of that? You should be. Um, <laughs> we have used Vine Link. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually how I found the guy and got a hold of the correctional facility yeah. and just okay. told them who we were. And Yeah. We've used Vine Link. We also <laughs> use CaseNet. Yeah. I think CaseNet is, is a Missouri specific thing. I'm not, I don't, not sure if that's nationwide, but yeah, we, we kind of had to pay attention to that kind of stuff because you know, we've had kids in our house who've had, you know, parents murdered. Yeah. Um, 
gang you know, affiliations. Oh yeah, gang affiliations. That's lots been of a drugs big one. and. So yeah, I mean, there, there there's a little bit of of what could be danger, but honestly, we've never really felt like we were ever targeted. The only danger that we've ever felt has come specifically from my my family. <laughs> um, and it's sad, but it's true. Yeah. Um, we've had more more issues when it comes to my family than we have yeah. any of our foster children's families. Yeah. So it sounds like, um, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to write a book for you, but rule number two is you've got to be ready and willing to accept tragedy, right? In the, in, in the story that, that comes yeah. with these child's lives. Absolutely. And you, you need to be able to know what your boundaries are, mm-hmm. what you can accept because we're not here to create more trauma, mm-hmm. you know, and if there's particular traumas that you can't accept, whether it be sexual abuse, mm-hmm. something that's going to trigger something bad in you, you know, you don't need to put that on a child. Yeah, because and so we, you need to know that it's okay to say no. When we were doing our, um, our training to become foster parents the first time they make you, you know, they, they're sitting there and they watch, you watch a video and it, oh, yeah. it's, it's a video about a dad, grooming a little girl more or less they don't show anything inappropriate but they show mm-hmm. the dad kind of creeping i mean he's a little bit of a creepster pretty mm-hmm. he did a good job of playing there's the role. no way to doubt what's going on and, without seeing and one of the ladies in in the, the class obviously had some past trauma because all of a sudden she stood up and she said do i have to stay in here and the the gal leading the class said no you can and she turns around and just dis- mm-hmm. you know but it, it triggered something and for her, that's something she needs to know. Like right. you're going to deal with some of these cases. And if you don't want to, you need to know that this is out there and say, Hey, I'm not okay with dealing with this type of thing. Cause that's the last thing you need to do is to create another scar for a child who's already hurting so badly. Mm-hmm. And, and Missouri is pretty good. We, we have a lot of options as far as what kids will take. I, I mean, we can choose age. We can choose, you know, race and ethnicity, genders, you know, which sounds kind of funky, but it's a good idea Mm -hmm. to let people say, hey, I can't have black kids in my house. Mm -hmm. I can't have Hispanic kids in my house because whether they have a personal issue with it or, you know, we had some people in our family who we were like, hmm, I wonder how that's going to go over with that. I wonder how that's going to go over with grandma. And we eventually just, we said, you know what, whoever comes to us comes to us. And we went and had a conversation with our family members and it ended up being a non-issue. But if you have that issue in your family, yep. maybe it makes sense for you to have a, a specific piece of society that you're willing to take in because mm-hmm. if, if your family's not going to treat them properly, it's not good for the kid. And if you're doing this for any reason other than taking care of the kid, you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> There's another rule, right? <laughs> so yeah. that, that's yeah. a strong rule. If you do it oh, yeah. for any other reason, you're yeah. doing it all wrong. You don't need to be doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, don't, I don't know about you know a lot of other states, you know, but I've heard the. I remember the stories on on news. We've see, all seen them. You know, foster parents with fourteen mm-hmm. kids in dog cages in, in a yeah. trailer somewhere because they're making all this money. In the state of Missouri, with fourteen kids, you probably still couldn't pay the payment on a trailer. Not because, only that, the state of Missouri will not allow you to have well, fourteen. They made some children. laws there, to prevent. There's that. a cap on how many children can stay in your home. But the yeah. truth is, is that and, there's just not enough money. Yeah. In the system, you know, in Missouri, we're the lowest or second lowest reimbursed state in the wow. nation. And wow. so, you know, there's not a lot of money in it. So if you're doing it for money, you're doing it wrong. Sure. If you're doing it to make people look at you and go, oh, you're a saint, you're doing it wrong. Right. You do it for any reason other than, and this is, you know, what, like the, the tagline to our podcast, you know, providing strength for the weakest among us. Mm. That's kind of been our mission statement. 
It's nice. going, you know, all these young kids we've had, like Amanda said, most of them will never remember us. You know, she used to have, she has naturally red hair. She used to have hair that made fire look pale. <laughs> and so I'm certain there's some kids who have a memory of this <laughs> flaming red head of hair, you know, in, in, in dreams, but they'll probably never know who we were or be able to, and that's fine because the thing is, is if you're doing it for recognition, you're doing it wrong. Right. You have to look at this and do it as a, as a passion project. Absolutely. Anything less is not fair. So it's safe to assume that there's more kids than homes. Oh yeah. I want to say the number I heard recently was somewhere around a half a million kids. Mm, wow. The biggest thing, um, what was it that just came up? The Super Bowl? Yep. There was the memes all over Facebook. Any foster adoptive place on Facebook, if they pulled all the foster children together at that moment for the Super Bowl, they could have filled the entire mm, Super wow. Bowl with children mm, that needed mm. homes. Well, it wasn't filled. They could have filled it like and a number of times. I think it was like twice. Wow. They could wow. have... They could have filled that stadium yeah. twice. It's amazing. Um, with children waiting for homes. It's a tragedy. That's not amazing. It's a, it's a, it's a tragedy. And it's terrible. So, you know, in, in Oregon, same deal, right? You know, more kids than homes. And that kind of has, you know, some unfortunate effect, right? It, to some degree, it, it then lowers the bar for what it takes to qualify to be a foster parent, in my opinion, from what I've seen. Um, so there's, I'm going to throw out two concepts to see if it, if there's anything like that in Missouri. So, so one concept that's in, in Oregon is the forever home concept. And then the other concept that is here is, oh, I had it in my mind, but I lost it. Um, but we'll, we'll start with forever home. Does that, that concept ring a bell? I know it is safe families is the other concept, but forever homes, does that have any meaning for you all there? In Missouri? I don't think so. Yeah. Really, I mean, the safe family thing, we have like safe places. Mm -hmm where um you can go you can take your children to to get help or or if, if you're um, in a um if you're in a, a like a quick trip or a walmart and you need a safe place sure. you can ask an employee they'll take you back and, and call the police but sure. i mean that doesn't get you <laughs> yeah, really yeah. far down the line yeah, yeah. and there's a couple like crisis nurseries mm -hmm. that you know if if you're off the rails and you know you're off the rails mm -hmm. you can't not put the heroin needle in your arm you can go to a crisis nursery you know, they'll keep the kid, take care of the kid, and you right. come back and get your kid when you're straight again. Sure. So Forever Homes was, as a model, it's still in place. And it was the idea of, if for whatever reason, a foster placement isn't working out, instead of moving the child from this this community, the, the, you know, this area of town, and then putting them in another area of town where they have to go to a new school, they've got to, you know, rejoin uh, new friend networks and all that, they created forever homes. And so they have homes that are located in different uh, locations in the, in the vicinity, and they actually cycle the foster parents through the home. The kids stay, foster parents cycle through. Wow. No, mm -hmm. I, I, I would think that would have some potential to be a really neat idea. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to look that up. What did you say that was again? It's called Forever Home. And it's it was based on a national model. So it's out there. I mean, if you were probably were to Google it, you could probably find it. In I mean, terms of yeah, I'm going to look into that because as far as I know, we don't have anything mm -hmm. like that in our area. I mean, we have group homes and mm -hmm. things like that, but nothing that would 
be that type of concept. Sure. Yeah, for sure. If you were to Google uh, Salem, Oregon forever homes, you would definitely uh, get some hits on that for sure. And then the other concept there that I floated out there is called safe families. And I've been exposed to that through my church congregation. So safe families is a way for the community to bridge the gap with in in Oregon, it's Department of Human Services. Um, And so with the, the reality of there's not enough foster homes, you know, the process to get people certified and qualified and to get homes certified, that takes time and it just lags behind the need. And so safe families is a way for people to um, go through a process similar to being a foster parent, but there's no reimbursement involved in it. It's just saying, Hey, we're here. We're a family. We are able and willing to take in children and we're willing to do that. And, and there's no, you know, uh, you're not officially a, a, a foster home. So, you know, like you were saying, the ones that I remember was a gal who was probably in her sophomore year in high school. She was actually doing pretty well. She was thriving, but mom was a drug addict and mom had to go into, got in trouble and it was, it was going to have to go into rehab. And in, in order, instead of putting this girl in, in foster care, they found a, a safe families home like in her high school district, right? That allowed her to, to keep going to school and whatnot instead of, and then when mom got out of rehab, um, they were able to reunite. So safe families is a, is kind of an adjunct to foster care that, that at least in my area is an active program in there. So we do have something similar. We, mm-hmm. they do do um, what they call kinship homes. Mm-hmm. And usually what a kinship home is, is it can be family, someone, someone in the community, Mm -hmm. a teacher, someone that knows the child, and they will try to place there first before the state would take custody. Um, You know, probably probably the same model, just a different label on it. Yeah. And they would try to get services Mm -hmm. for bio Mm -hmm. parents or whoever, so that they could get kids back before they ever even came into state care. Um, A lot of times there's, there's no reimbursement. Like you said, it's just people. Mm-hmm. that know the kid opening their home, you know, and trying to keep that from going, keep that child from going into care. Yes. Yeah. Because I don't know how Oregon or anybody else does it, but in Missouri, if any kid is in foster care for any 15 of 22 consecutive rolling months, they're required to begin filing the termination of parental rights, mm. which basically means, you know, so if they're in and out of care, in and out, mm-hmm. in for two months, out for a month, in for three months. If you if you add up 15 months out of the, the past 22, they're in care, then the state is going to start the process of terminating parental rights. Wow. Because, you know, the problem was that they had these kids who were laying in care, you know, being in and out of foster homes for their Four whole lives. Four and six years and just dragging on and on and... Wow never any permanency so in order to try and mitigate that the state has this law but then again you know it, it puts puts a timeline on the time there's available to help a kid and, and get a parent taking care of their own kid which is you know and we don't always like to, to hear it but it is the best option sure. you know if you can get somebody off of their problem whether it's drugs alcohol whatever it is back on their medication if they're mentally yep. unstable mm-hmm. oh yeah because we've seen that yeah. one uh, but you know, if we can, if you can get some a kid back in the home with a biological parent who's willing and able to take care of them, that is the best possible Absolutely. solution. Absolutely, you know, and you feel like I'd be a better parent for that kid than his mom would because she's a drug addict, you know. But uh, that that's kind of just the the judgmental side of us going off. But 
in all honesty, if we can get that woman some some services, and some support, yeah. and get her to the point where she can take care of it, I mean that's yeah. that's the the answer. You know, we we talked with a gal recently, um, Amy, and uh, Amy, she was exactly that mom. You know, when they when the cops kicked her front door in and put her, her and her husband and her kid on the ground at gunpoint, um, they found something in the neighborhood of three ounces of meth in her house and packaged for resale. And then she, she openly admitted she was a full-blown drug dealer at that point. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that, that woke her up. And she used one time after that, she said, and almost almost uh, got hit on a, on a drug test and realized that she had to get herself clean. And she did. She got herself clean. She got into the dealing. She she walked the walk, and she she did everything she had to do to get her kids back. And today, she has a job that doesn't involve selling unlicensed pharmaceuticals, and you know has two jobs and takes care of her kids and has a family that's back intact. And it's it's right. amazing to see people do that. Absolutely. But it's a challenge to to get people to a place where they can do that when you're on a timeline, and you know I'm certain you've seen it. You know, getting somebody clean. I can, that's a process. It takes time. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a lifetime, unfortunately. And the thing is, is if we don't break the cycle, it continues. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and it continues for our children and our children's children, and it just keeps going. Yeah. You know, and I broke the cycle in my family. Yay. So you can do it, but you have to have services and you mm-hmm. need help. And you need support. And that's what these families need. Absolutely. And unfortunately, there's just not enough funding to get the services that they need. Sure. Very minimal, basic care. I believe it was Ronald Reagan who said the nine most frightening words in the English language. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, they, they try. I, I give them that. But, you know, we as a, we as a community have to find find our place to stand in the gap there. Absolutely. And then you, you know? two are, you two are doing that, right? And it's, that's, is that what you're doing through your podcast? Tell me about your podcast. Well, when we took our, a break, you know, after we lost, you know, we lost my dad and just nine months later, we buried our daughter as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had taken that break cause we needed it. We were not in a place to help somebody else and kind of really felt like we were missing out on doing something. And I struggled with that pretty hard for a while. Mm-hmm. And, um, I started out writing a blog and I still got that going, but it just wasn't the thing. And, and then I got looking at a podcast. And I said, you know what? This is somewhere where we can go out and talk to people mm-hmm. and we can encourage people to look at the idea of coming into, you know, coming in, into the fold with us. If that's the sort of thing that sets your soul on fire, come in here and we will help you get ready to take care of kids Absolutely. and, or find a, a person, you know, who's struggling. And support the, the family, support the bio family, help them out. Try to help find resources, help take care of a kid for a couple of nights, help them find food if they need food, you know, whatever, whatever that need is, you know, just try to help in whatever, ever, whatever faucet we can to just. And that, that's kind of the whole point of it is that, you know, we want to encourage people to do that. We want to encourage people to, to know that, hey, these are, you know, and, and on the podcast, you know, we tell some stories. We tell a couple of our kids' stories on there because it's impactful to know what really happens to these kids. Yeah, because we also like to try to provide a platform to tell stories, real-life stories of success, of heartbreak, but mainly we want to sh- share stories of hope. 
Absolutely. You know, that there is, is a light at the end of the yeah. tunnel. This is an open opportunity to pitch your podcast. Tell us what it's called and where they can find it. And, well, I'll let you do that one. You're good at that one. <laughs> That's always my job, the marketing. It is. I'm not a marketer. But <laughs> we have uh, the name of the podcast is Foster Care, an Unparalleled Journey. Mm-hmm. And Unparalleled took me a while to figure out how to spell. I don't know why I put it in the name because it's even harder to search. <laughs> but if you search for Jason and Amanda Palmer, we will usually pop up. And we're on iTunes, Spotify, all the different um all the different platforms out there or the on our website, which is just Jason M. Palmer, because I wanted to buy my name so nobody else could steal it. <laughs> <laughs> it you can, you can listen to it on there as well. And I, I, there's like, I remember right. There's links to all of them there as well, but yeah, it's foster care and unparalleled journey by Jason and Amanda Palmer. We're also on Facebook. Yep. We have, uh, we have a, a Facebook group and a page on by the same name. So you can find us there as well. Absolutely. And I'll put all that info in the show notes on this so that people who catch this podcast and they want to know more about what you're doing there will have an, an easy yeah, access. There's email address, contact information yeah. on there, you know. Perfect. Yeah. And so if you have a story you want to tell, cause that's, that's a lot of what we do, you know, as Holy cow. I think we have the house oh, coming down over there. <laughs> Real <laughs> life foster care. Yes. Live, live <laughs> raw uncut. Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, that, that, that's, that's just a piece of what we do. You know, we, we try and, and provide the, those platforms for people to tell stories. Because if we go back through the longest part of, of history, you know, we have stories that date back to ancient Mesopotamia, right? Mm-hmm. That's, how we, that's how we pass stories Absolutely. on. Mm-hmm. We pass lessons down from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, those archetypal stories are out there. Sure. And they're powerful, and that's what we can do with the power of the podcast is to tell these stories so that people understand what's out there, what's going on, who needs help, and what you can do. You know, that hero's journey is a big one. And learning that, hey, sometimes you have to go out into the, you know, what was it, uh, the the King Arthur story, you have to go into the woods at the place that seems darkest to you to find that dragon and slay it. And and that's that's part of what we're doing because part of this is scary. You know, you walk into a lot of stuff you don't understand here. Mm-hmm. And part of it is scary. And being willing to, to take that, that fear and trepidation you feel and turn it in to a moment just, just two days ago, I think it was Monday morning. I'm off on Monday mornings and, and my six-year-old was sitting right over here where Amanda <laughs> is. And he says, Daddy, can you tie my shoes? And, of course, and, you know, today everybody's got slip-on shoes, Velcro <laughs> shoes. These shoes actually have laces that have to be tied. And so I said, well, here, let me show you. And I showed him how to tie one shoe, and, and then he helped him tie the other one. And he, he said, and he got it done. He looks like, he says, Daddy, Daddy, I did it. Thank you for teaching me how to do that. And every day since then, he's tied his shoes, and he's told you thank you. Exactly. You Which know. you don't get from the six-year-old very often. You don't get thank yous all the time. But those are the things, you know, it's those moments when that sure. kid stands up with that excitement, that joy in his eyes, and says, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah take, you've got to step outside of your comfort zone Absolutely. to get to that point. But yeah. those moments with those kids, man, I'll take those with me to the, to the end. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so back to you know the upgraded life that's this podcast and so what i'm hoping for this next piece the, the closing this out in a couple minutes here um, for the person that may be contemplating becoming a foster parent 
And then also for those people who may catch this podcast that were foster kids, right? There's kind of both ends of that. But for the potential foster parents, what would you tell them that they would need to do kind of in the upstairs brain part mentality to take that step or they've already taken the step and now they're thinking about that first child coming in? What would you, uh, what, what advice would you give them to prepare their mindset for embracing this journey? I'd say number one, we live so much of our life doing everything we do based solely on what we're afraid of. We're always afraid of something. We buy life insurance because we're afraid we're going to die and leave our family without anything. Mm -hmm. We go to work every day because we're afraid we'll lose our job. How many people do you know get up every day and go to work because they love it? We, We don't even take the time to do that in our life. Sure. You have to put the fear aside and find a reason to do it that means something to you. You have, to, you have to look at it and understand that if you do this strictly because you're afraid that a kid's not going to have a home, you're not going to be able to do it because there's hard stuff in this sometimes. Mm-hmm. There is stuff in here that hurts sometimes, and you're not going to be able to handle it if you're only doing it because you're afraid of something. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it and you understand that what you're doing is, is you're, you're not healing trauma. I, I, I always hesitate to, to say that because people will oftentimes say things like they think that we're fixing these kids trauma and we're not, but what you are doing is you're giving them a safe place to begin to heal the wounds that came from their family of origin. The people who were supposed to love them the most, who hurt them the most, and you're creating that safe place, that, that sanctified place for them to come and to stand and to cry and to be angry and to act out. And that's what you're creating for them. Now that's a reason to do it. Sure but you have to put the fear away. You can't do anything because of fear in this. You do it because you love it. So don't operate out of fear and be focused on creating that safe place for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and Amanda, will you take that other question, you know, for the person who uh, potentially might have been a, a foster child and they're hearing this podcast, what would your message be for, to, to that person? Um, to the actual foster child? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, keep your chin up. Mm -hmm. There's always hope. Keep looking for someone. Keep looking for a trustworthy adult because they're there. Keep reaching out. Keep telling your stories. And don't give up on yourself because you are worthy. No matter what anybody says or how anybody makes you feel, keep searching for the adult that is your adult. They're there, whether it be a neighbor, a teacher, a caseworker, your principal, you know, there, there are trustworthy adults out there that won't hurt you. Not everybody is evil. There's a lot of good people out there. So don't give up just because the people that are supposed to love you don't Mm. does not mean that somebody else won't. Wow. Powerful words. Thank you, Amanda. And thank you, Jason. And I'm just, the, the, the two of you speak with such conviction and from such an authentic place that it just comes through in my ears. And this, even though this is distance across video, uh, you can't make this stuff up, right? And when you, when you, you two say you got to be in it for the right reason, I, I really get that feel from the two of you. And that's filtered through my 20 years of experience with working with kids in the system, right? And so I just really want to thank you and, and honor 
um, not operating out of fear, right? Living by your own words there and creating that safe place. We need more people like Jason and Amanda that are willing to, to do the right thing, to do right by kids and to break those cycles. I appreciate it, Nick, but you know, less than anybody, because we've heard this one a lot. You're a saint. You guys are saints. There's a special place in heaven for you. No, there's not. Mm-hmm. And no, I'm not. I am just as bad as the next guy. And I, 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 been just as many horrible places and done the same dumb things as everybody else. I'm nobody special. I'm just a guy who figured out that, that there's something in this world that means something and you can figure it out too. Absolutely. It's a place for all of us to walk in. Right. And so I'm going to take that opportunity there to talk about the difference between uh, modesty and humility. Right. And um, the difference there is modesty would say, yeah, I'm not a saint and anybody could do this. And that's not what I heard from you right? Um, What I heard from you is I'm humble, right? I'm just a man, but I'm also a man and a woman that was willing to say yes, right? And it was willing to say yes in the face of fear, right? And that's the part that that's the part I want to reinforce, right? Are you a saint? Well, I might keep that in my book, you know, I'll put you in my book of sainthood, but the reality (laughs) is you saw a need, right? And you said, yes, you did not operate out of fear. And that's the part that you need to uh, be bold about, right? And continue, continuing to share that piece of it, right? Because there's a lot of people who operate out of fear, right? And they do this for the wrong reasons, or they just don't do it at all because they're, you know, in, our, in Oregon, we have a, a PSA buzz that says, you know, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be willing to give it a try or something like that. And it's, it's, yep. a, it's a foster care um, uh, commercial there. So, um, you know, but I, w- I was that child mm-hmm. and I needed someone to step up for me. And so I took that and I'm stepping up for other children, but in the same sense, I'm stepping up for myself now too. Absolutely. I love that, Amanda. All right, you two. Again, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Again, I'll plug all of your info down into my show notes so that people can follow up on you and your podcast, in your blog, and anything else that they may need for encouragement. I'm sure you'll get back to them. Absolutely. Certainly. Yeah. We appreciate you having us on here, Nick. And, and we'll be looking forward to finding more podcasts because I'm pretty sure I've, I've listened to everything you have out there and wow, I'm waiting for more. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. What a great show that was with Jason and Amanda Palmer. You know, the decision to become a foster parent is something that is just incredible. And the County where I live in and the city and state where I'm at Definitely the amount of kids far outnumber the amount of homes and people who are willing to take uh, foster kids in. So I hope that the story that Jason and Amanda gave us in this episode stirred people up. And if you have ever been thinking about being a foster parent or on the edge in any sort of way, I would just really encourage you to to be bold, don't act out of fear, and take the first step. And probably that first step is is reaching out to the people that are involved in the child welfare system in your vicinity and asking questions. How do I get started? How do I get more information uh, for becoming a foster parent? If you're enjoying the Upgraded Life podcast, help me out by subscribing and giving me a five-star review. That helps this podcast keep going and and helps me push my mission forward, which is to help people realize and reach their potential. And that comes back to mindset, mission, and movement. And that's the Upgraded Life.